Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 136 unread books on my shelf. With me is my brother, Andrew. It is not spooky anymore. Hello. And my husband, Dylan. It's a perfectly normal November. Pedro's uh, <laughs> listeners, we were just talking about, because we're recording this on October 30th, that we have to remember that this comes out November 3rd, and it's no longer spooky. It's now just pumpkin pie versus pumpkin scaries. <laughs> It's true. Just so everyone knows, especially our younger listeners, after October 31st, pumpkins no longer can come alive and and destroy you. They're only for food. A pumpkin of ours just came alive and tried to kill Maggie. Oh, yeah. Dylan, do you want to explain the scariest moment of your life? Oh, yeah. Uh, We're really good at carving pumpkins because we're basic. Yeah, it was our first time. And we learned that, you know, if we just put Maggie in the high chair and she stares at us, it's enough. It, It entertained. Yes. Yes. But what did not entertain her was that it rained a lot in L.A., and filled up one of the pumpkins with water. And one of the pumpkins was hilariously designed with a very tiny face. And that meant there's no place for the water to go. And that meant black mold was like covering it in the course of 24 hours. And Maggie opened it and touched it. And so- No, no, she went to touch it and her grandma pulled her away and ran inside. I'm adding some dramatic flair. Okay, sorry. So I had to get rid of it. And I opened it to check it, and literally a swarm of flies that almost seemed sentient came out (laughs) and chased me across the street when I had to, like, get it out into the trash bin. So that pumpkin was grown in a graveyard and holds the curse of many years inside it. And now there's a black spot that cannot be washed out on our driveway, which I think represents the pumpkins of the damned. (laughs) So, Andrew, what's up? How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm in Brooklyn, New York City. NYC, baby! NYC baby and I'm leaving on Halloween to go back to our house and uh and see if we actually get trick-or-treaters which I'm pretty excited about I don't think we will uh but we bought a lot of candy and then that's just for us if they don't come that's how it works yeah yeah well that's what it was like growing up Bill. we we always get way too much candy and like we lived on an island that had what five families that had children and a good year we'd get like two trick-or-treaters yeah but we still got that big like mixing bowl full of candy that we could eat that was great we got that going over over here, but we're hoping. I'm actually currently embroidering a sign that says "trick or treat" in the hopes of getting children. To you can come. just use a marker. You don't have to embroider it. I have to. I don't know about that, Dylan. I think you have to embroider it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, other than that, things are things are good. Um, no shame. No, no shame, shame whatsoever in these last two weeks. So uh, Bailey, balls in your court, you big dork. I mean, we don't need to talk about shame. Da-da-da. Well, I think we do, especially because I can say that you're the only one with it when Toby's not here and I don't have any. Yeah, let's just imagine what shame Toby has. No, I do have some shame, but it's interesting shame in that... Mm, still shame. Still shame. What do we call it? Interesting? <laughs> I finally picked up the Every by Dave Eggers, which we talked about last time on the podcast, which was future shame that I had on reserve. That has happened now. That has happened. It is now official shame. But I also bought two books that I've already read. <gasps> you read them and then you bought them again? No, I bought them and then they were really quick reads, so I read them right away. Book number one. I know it's not spooky season, no scary pumpkins, but I did buy a scary book, which is a novella, only 100 pages. It's called Nothing But Blackened Teeth by Cassandra Cow. And you may recognize the cover if you've been on Instagram or bookstores lately. It's just a a terrifying yukai, which is like a bridal ghost. So it's just like this creepy, long black haired woman with no face except for a creepy mouth. That's what's on the cover. It's very scary. And it's a haunted house story about a group of friends with a complicated past that decide to spend 
the weekend of a wedding at a house they rent in Japan, and it's an old castle that is rumored that there was a bride buried in the floor. But that totally didn't happen. But definitely not. I was going to say, is the rumors true? Well, I don't know. I mean, you could look at the cover of the book. (laughs) It would be hilarious if it's a horror story. It's like, yeah, but it turned out not to be true. (laughs) The cover is just a picture of something we saw. Yeah. It's not something that happens in the book. They just had a lovely weekend. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so that's one book I read. The other book I read was called Well Matched by Jen DeLuca, and it's the final in the trilogy. Well, I guess there's going to be more books, but it's the third book in the Well Met trilogy, which is about, it's like romance at the Renaissance Fair. And this one follows April and Mitch's story. If you know, you know. Um, And it was very good. And I don't know. Well done. Oh, well done. That should be one of the titles. Um, One other final note that I need to bring up in this intro. This is really big news. Can someone do like a news sound? Sports Center. Maggie, our 15-month-old, has started sniffing books. Yeah. It's weird. (laughs) I might have showed her how to do it. Now she does it with every book. So. Big news. Nice. Dun-na-na. Nice. This is big. I love it. <laughs> Sports Center over. <laughs> All right. Well, then, that's it for our intro. That's it for our news. Andrew, um, I heard that you might have read something this week. Well, I did. <gasps> but I heard that you also read the same book. I did. I did read it. And that book is Sing Unburied Sing by Jesmyn Ward. La, la, la. La, 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 la. Okay, it took me a second to realize what you were doing there, but I like it. I like the energy. Yes. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have read this book. It was a very popular book from a few years ago. Um, it's marketed as the second book in a series called Bois Sauvage. It might be pronounced boys. It's, it's a, it, the city in Mississippi where it takes place. It means wildwood. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so it's marketed as that, but it does not. I checked online before I started reading. It is not dependent on the events of the earlier book, which is called Salvage the Bones. So I read it with gusto. Without further ado, let's jump on in. I'm sure some of you have read it, and I'm curious to know if you, Pejos, agree or disagree with my upcoming review. So, Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward. Set in modern Mississippi, but spanning through traumas and injustices as old as America's original sin, Jasmine Ward's novel follows a poor family as they struggle to love, to grow, and to survive. Told through multiple narrators and containing the visceral natural in the nearly unfathomable supernatural, the novel showcases people's inability to fully understand each other and to escape the wrongs of the past when rooted in places steeped in weighted history. Beautiful. Perfectly said. Thank you. Um, so to give you a little more context, the book follows uh, a family in in rural or at the very least sort of um, far from city uh, Mississippi. The family is sort of non-traditional in that it, there are two children to, uh, who are named Jojo and Michaela, who also goes by Kayla, who are the children of Leone and Michael, who are a mixed race couple. But Michael is away in prison at the start of the book. Um, and Michael's family has basically disowned him and does not recognize the children because he, a white man, had children with a black woman, Leone. Leone is not called their mother. They specifically call her Leone because they were raised by their grandparents who go by Pop and Ma'am. So yeah, sort of non-traditional. We get a couple different narrators as our way in. Uh, We start off with Jojo, who spans throughout the book. We also then go to Leone, who 
gets about equal page time to Jojo. And then there is a mysterious third narrator who I do not want to get too far into because part of the joy of this book is finding who that third narrator is and sort of how they throw the rest of the story into uh, sort of relief. Yeah, I thought it was going to be somebody different than it was. I was excited. Yeah, no, it was. it's, it's cool because it really is set up to be, I'll tell you, it's not one of the grandparents. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not Michael the dad. It's somebody you're not expecting to, to get as much airtime as, as they get and it's um it, it's very effective i thought so that's sort of the setup those are the people that we're with for the story um the the crux of the plot is that ma'am the grandmother is 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 very sick with cancer is sort of on death's door and in this moment, Michael is getting out of prison and Leone wants to take Michaela and Jojo with her friend Misty up to northern Mississippi uh, to be there when he gets out and to take him down. There's a side mission to this, which is that they're also going up there to run some meth uh, so that they can get some extra money. Leone, as well as Misty and Michael, are, are addicts and that is the main thrust of why they haven't been able to be there and be competent, caring parents. Um, and so basically, it's sort of a road story for a lot of it. And I saw that described in, in a couple different reviews I looked at. It's like a very modern take on a, on a road narrative. They go up and they go down and they are going through this land that is hostile towards them, both as as black people and as mixed race um, children. Some supernatural elements come in um, and I'll get into that a little more in my in my elves. Um, but just know that it's not a straight A to B, B to C, and it's not even sort of a winding path. It's more of a A to B, but you know, all these other letters are coming in from all different angles throughout, Yep. which I thought was really cool. Anything you feel like I missed in the plot? I feel like that was kind of a rambly plot description. I mean, you might say that Jojo has like supernatural not, not like he's not a superhero, but he can understand when animals talk and like maybe he can do other stuff. I don't know. Shining. Maybe he's got a little shine to him. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I got, thanks for bringing that up. I think I could dig into it a little more, but cool. I will in just a moment. Um, so to some elves, Ward's prose is awesome. It rocks. She rules. Um, it's a wonderful blend of both really lyrical and crystal clear. It sort of subverts structures of grammar often and subverts structures of expectation all the time, uh, but without ever really confounding meaning. I didn't get lost in her sort of, you know, I don't know, feeling herself and, and going too purple or going too wild. I felt she really hit the balance of lyrical but clear in a way that I feel like is pretty rare. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I have a quote to bring to the table. This is on page 138. It's This is from our third narrator, but you won't be able to tell who it is from this. And I'm just going to read it. But I didn't have River's way with the dogs. I think some part of me hated and feared them. And they knew it. The dogs didn't soften to silly puppies with me. Their tails stiffened, their backs straightened, and they stilled. When they saw Riv in the dark morning, they bounced and yapped. But when they saw me, they ossified to stone. Riv held out his hands to the dogs like he was a reverend and they were his church. They were quiet with listening. But he didn't say anything. Something about the way they froze together in the blue dawn was worshipful. But when I held out my hand to them, like Riv told me, and waited for them to acclimate to my scent, to listen to me, they snapped and gurgled. There's some foreboding in there. And there's some foreboding. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be good, I bet. No, I, I just like phrases like they were quiet with listening. Yeah. Like things like that I, I found were like not really nice turns of phrase contained within things that really clearly contained the message, but were still beautiful to read. And similarly, um, the book keeps you on your toes a lot. There's some foreboding, like Bailey says. The plot is sort of surprising and winding. There's surprise grossness. Um, 
you can't really settle into it and just sort of know what's coming. Uh, and I found that that was particularly strong in the opening paragraph, which I will also read. And you can't stop me. Stop. No. I'm going for it. This is from the point of view of Jojo. I like to think I know what death is. I like to think that it's something I could look at straight. When Pop tells me he needs my help and I see the black knife slide into the belt of his pants, I follow Pop out of the house, try to keep my back straight, my shoulders even as a hanger. That's how Pop walks. I try to look like this is normal and boring, so Pop will think I've earned these 13 years. So Pop will know I'm ready to pull what needs to be pulled, separate innards from muscle, organs from cavities. I want Pop to know I can get bloody. Today's my birthday. Yeah, that's a really good opening. Yeah, it's a really strong opening, and I just love that all of that leads to just today's my birthday. And I thought that's a, that's pretty representative of the book. It's interesting because as you're reading it, I'm noticing things that she put in early that then have payoffs in the end that I didn't catch the first time. So maybe, maybe this would even be a good book to reread. I bet it would. I bet you'd find new things in it. So yeah. Uh, moving on to another elf, and we've already sort of hinted on this. I think the supernatural elements are handled really well. They're sprinkled in at first, and it's sort of hard to tell how much exactly is real and how much we're supposed to like think is actually supernatural. And it, it blossoms out, because Bailey calls out that Jojo can sort of understand animals. But at first, it just kind of seems like he's imagining what animals are saying. You can't tell that he's actually like telling that until later. And it's like, oh, wait, that was actually something supernatural. And then later, you Leone's character sees somebody, but she's high on drugs, and you don't know if that's just some weird hallucination side effect but then slowly you realize that all of this is in fact supernatural and the elements that come out of that are some of my favorite parts of the book maybe even that third narrator is somehow supernatural hmm? Hmm? Uh, to sort of touch on the two different narrators or two two of the main different narrators I think this was a really uh, successful example of having contrasting narrators you got direct sort of refutals between the characters without it just being like that guy's wrong it didn't happen this way it was the same things being presented by two different people and you sort of got to see both sides I sided with one of them more than the other but you sort of got windows into the other person's behavior from the other person in a way that never felt sort of discounting the other narrator but it felt uh, like it made both of their stories more full, if that makes sense. I totally agree. I thought that was really powerful. And sometimes I would look forward to the next chapter to be like, oh, let's, I want to hear JoJo's take on this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So those are my elves. I mean, I, as you can tell, I really felt strongly for this book, but I do have some orcs. Would you like to hear them? Yes, I would. And I just want to say I agree with those elves. Good work. Excellent. Thank you very much. Any additional ones you want to throw in before we go to Orktown? No, let's go to Orktown. Let's go right to Mordor. Orktown population puke. Because one of my main orcs is there is far, 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 far too much puke in this book. There is so much. There's so much vomit. Oh, the one of the characters that vomits is a baby. And that's not okay. You need to take that baby to a doctor. I was very nervous for that baby. Yeah, it, the baby vomits quite a bit. Everyone vomits quite a bit. Jojo vomits. Leone vomits. Mysterious third narrator vomits. <laughs> I understand that it's it's visceral and powerful, but oh, I just didn't like reading about it. <laughs> and I, I call this out not to be crass or anything like this because the book has so many sort of visceral and, and, and gross moments, but... One of them just gets hit a lot more than the other because I'm not I don't think it's a negative to have gross elements in your book. I think it's a slight negative to have so much of one specific one. But this is that's also said sort of tongue in cheek. Um, and then in a more serious note, the beginning of the book sort of dragged for me. It sort of makes sense because we're getting a lot of context setting. We're learning about the characters. But later, after the first about 100 pages or so, and it's only about a 280 page book in my copy, uh, it really starts to fly. So I felt a little bit more like I was getting through those first two, three chapters to get to where it really came together and started going. A hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. 
Um, I think once they get on the road, it really picks up. It really does. Yeah. All that said, I gave this book five stars because if it just drags a little bit, but I got through it and my only other negative is puke, I'm giving you five stars. There you go. That's so that's how I feel about it. And I really do want to check out um, Salvage the Bones now. I'm interested in that one as well. That's awesome. Five stars. Well, I gave it four. um, I guess the fact that the first 100 pages were slow for me was bigger deal than it was to you. So I just went with four, but poof, very good book. Excellent writer. I can see why this book blew up as much as it did. For sure. For sure. Are you going to keep it on your shelf? <laughs> well, I hated it so much. <laughs> yes. No, I'm going to keep it on your shelf. And I, and I do think that the point you made where it could deepen with or at least show different angles of itself uh, with rereading is something that is true. And it's not a terribly long book, so it wouldn't be a crazy thing to reread it someday. Definitely. Dylan, um, I heard that you've been deep in the books doing some research about Jasmine Ward. Yep, I have totally been spending the past week researching these two authors. Not the past half hour. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Oh boy. So Jasmine Ward was born in 1977 in Berkeley, California. She moved to Delisle, Mississippi with her family when she was three. There's some interesting writing about how she started in public school and was bullied by her black classmates. But then her mother's employer paid her to go to a very fancy private school where she was bullied by white students. She was the first in her family to attend college. Stanford, heard of it? Uh, No. Uh, But then she decided to become a writer in memory of her younger brother who was killed by a drunk driver in 2000. So she basically graduated and then didn't know what she wanted to do. And then her brother died and she realized life is short. So she wants to become a writer. Okay. So in 2005, she received her MFA in creative writing from University of Michigan. Um, but because she got a creative writing, an MFA in creative writing, she had to move back home. That's a terminal degree, though. You could be a professor. Exactly. And she is a professor for most of this time. Like, okay. She does teach in a lot of places in English. There's a long list of Southern colleges, but she ends up in Tulane. Okay. Teaching there. But she moves back to her uh, hometown of Delisle, Mississippi in 2005, right when Katrina hits. Oh, gosh. And her family has to basically grab everything they can, run out in their car, car breaks down, they end up stranded in a field full of tractors. And then when they go to the owner of the field, the white owners tell them they're at capacity when clearly they're not. Oh, my gosh. And they have to find another place to stay. So, yeah, so that's how she dealt with the original... um, impact of Katrina and then from when she was teaching she had to drive uh she taught a lot in Louisiana as I was saying Tulane so she had to drive through some of the areas not like just New Orleans but like rural areas that were wiped out by Katrina so doing that back and forth every day for a few years kind of inspired a lot of her writing of course at this point in 2008 she realized that writing was really tough and she was going to quit and become a nurse So she was about to sign up. But her first book, Where the Line Bleeds, was accepted uh, by Agate Publishing. And it was uh, a book club selection by Essence Magazine. So it blew up. Nice. So everything's going great. Oh, gosh. Uh Oh, I feel like something bad's about to happen. Basically, her career kind of started off like pretty big. She's considered a huge crossover hit from black literature, which is like its own different sub-literature. And then she became a huge mainstream success with... um, Salvage the Bones, which he wrote in 2011, uh, which he won the National Book Award for. Heard of it. <laughs> Heard of it. <laughs> um, in 2017, she was the recipient of the MacArthur Genius Grant. And that same year, she won the National uh, Book Award 
uh, for Sing Unburied Sing. Oh, so she won it for both. The only woman to win two National Book Awards. Ooh. Oh, wow. So everything's going great. And then uh, 2020 happens. Oh, gosh. Uh, Because Ward still lives in Mississippi and has two children. And her husband, Brendan Miller, died in January 2020 at the age of 33 from acute respiratory distress syndrome. I looked. It's not COVID. But basically... That happened, then COVID happened, and then uh, George Floyd happened, and she wrote all about this in an article called On Witness and Respair, A Personal Tragedy Followed by a Pandemic, and it is heavy reading. It sounds like it. that's horrible. Yeah. Um, it ba- I mean, it basically kind of covers what people have been dealing with these past few years, and then like putting personal tragedy into that, mm-hmm. and- the fact that she is still writing, like, more power to her. But, yeah, if you can find that Vanity Fair article, it is very intense. I mean, that's a lot of her writing, though. And also really important, when asked if there was any book out there that she wished she had written, she answered, uh, there's a TV show called Taboo, written by Tom Hardy and her and his father, and she loves that, and she wished she wrote Taboo. Is she the Hardy. only person that has not seen <laughs> that show? And then Taboo was canceled. That's oh, <laughs> no. Poor Jasmine. Jasmine can't catch a break. Wow. All right. Well, thank you for those depressing facts, Dylan. I like how it was so depressing that you couldn't stop laughing during him. <laughs> Even how depressing her life is would destroy a normal person. And she still got two book awards and a MacArthur grant while doing it, too. Yeah. I know. It's like you're laughing, but only just because it's like... The extremes yeah, of absolutely. it. absolutely. It was just such a parade of bad things. Well, thank you for those facts. Great facts, Dylan. I'm going to go into a corner and cry now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I have something that could maybe help with that. What is it? Uh, I just got a delivery. Uh, It's a hot and fresh pizza just for me. Ooh, with some nice cold pickles. Yum. Ooh. Bailey, I heard you read a book. (laughs) That was excellent transition. Five stars. Uh, Yes, I read the book Pizza Girl by Jean Kyung Frazier. Um, This was the book that I got to choose off my shelf. Very exciting. First time getting to do that. Also, you're welcome. Oh, yes. This was a gift from my lovely brother, Andrew. Thank you. Um, you guys should check out our Instagram and see the cover of this book. It is rad. It is very rad. Did you yeah. hear about it and ask for it from Andrew? Or did Andrew, did you just pick it up? Well, Andrew likes to do the thing where he goes off my Goodreads to read list. So I'm sure that I saw this on the best of year lists and then saw how rad the cover was and added it. And then, and then Andrew I bought, bought it, it for me. because it had a really cool cover. And I was like, that's one I want to put my stamp on. Heck yeah. So, all right. Uh, Pizza Girl, the basic logline is that it is about an unnamed 18-year-old girl who lives in Los Angeles. Um, She is pregnant. She is depressed. She doesn't know what to do with her life. She is a pizza delivery girl, and she becomes obsessed with one of the people she delivers pizza to, specifically this woman, Jenny, who's a stay-at-home mom who is also going through a difficult time. So that is what the book is about. For some reason, I thought it was a horror novel. I have no idea why I thought that. It looks like a genre novel. If If not a horror thing, it looks like it'd be a fun throwback romp. Right. It's not that. It's not that. Um, This was a perfect example of like a mood book. Like I happened to be in this state of ennui the night that I read it. And by night that I read it, I read it in one sitting. I didn't even use the bookmark. Like Dylan kept walking in was like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm almost done. And I, I finished the book in one sitting. And it's like eating a whole pizza by yourself in one sitting. I mean, it probably feels very similar. <laughs> <laughs> that it's good, but you have regrets. Exactly. 
<laughs> um, the main character, she's going through a lot and she's a complicated character, but you really feel for her. You don't always agree with what she's doing or how she's treating people, but you can understand how lost she feels and how conflicted she feels about her boyfriend, about her mom, who is way too supportive of her having a baby so young. Anyway, so the the main character feels really conflicted and you as the reader are conflicted right along with her and because she starts out in a a depressed but essentially mentally sane place when she starts to lose it a little bit in her obsession with Jenny you understand how she becomes obsessed with this woman because it happens gradually and you're right there with her um and Jenny is a really interesting character she like i said is a stay-at-home mom her son the reason why the narrator is so intrigued by her is she calls the pizza place and says, I've called all these pizza places. I just need pickles on a pizza. And she's like, huh? And Jenny's son will only eat pizza with pepperoni and pickles, but no other place will do it. And they just moved to Los Angeles. She says, it just feels like I've been failing at a lot lately. I can't even get dinner right. And I can understand oh. that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's rough. I know. That's very, very relatable. I know, oh, right? So, you know, the narrator wants to help her out. And as soon as she gets there, she vomits and reveals that she's pregnant. And then they're bonding and talking about having children. And she's kind of seeing in Jenny the stay-at-home mom she could become. And that's kind of freaking her out. And at the same time, she's sort of falling in love with her. Um, which is interesting. Um, it also has some awesome descriptions. You can't stop me. I'm going to do a quote. Wait, I'm trying to stop you, <laughs> but only because I have a clarifying question before you do your quote. Okay, go ahead. What kind of pickles? Are we talking like really thin sliced pickles? Do they describe what kind of pickles this boy they wants do on the not, pizza? And it bothers me. It is unclear. I was thinking about if it would be good or not, and I'm and it's dependent on the pickle. I am so happy that you brought this up because I was going to ask the group this. In my mind, I was like, I hope it's like those circular tiny slices that you put on sandwiches, but they don't say in the book. On the on cover. The, on, on the cover. That's on the cover. But it's not in the text. They just say that she has a jar of pickles. I'm like, I hope they're not putting like pickle spears. Like, and what if it was like one of those sweet and sour pickles or... You know those sweet pickles? Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, the bread, the bread and butter bread ones. Bread and butter. No, no, no. Oh. Mm-mm. Hard pass. I feel like there's a way that this could be good. I think like a regular pickle, like a hamburger pickle, that could be good. I would try that. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. Now please quote away. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we talked about this. Though. It was very important to talk about it. Okay. So this is a quote just to show. Um, and she's. This is her first novel. My understanding is she's very young. We'll find out. Um, But uh, it just shows how promising she is. Okay, so this is page 189. This is the narrator talking. There was still more I wanted to ask her. What exactly I meant to her? How much of herself did she actually reveal to me? Did she still miss me sometimes like I missed her? A missing that had no electricity, no lightning or thunder. A missing like a hand digging into an empty chip bag, searching for crumbs, any last salty bit. A missing more like morning. Mm. Like you said about Jessamyn Ward, I think she has a really great sense of metaphor. (laughs) Um, I found it very quick to read because I was pulled along by this great writing and this outstanding character. It's an outstanding character piece. Um, And there's, even though there's no horror, there's a sense of dread and it's building to something that happens at the end. Um, It's building towards a climax and you can tell as you go. (gasps) You guy. And yeah, and I think that there's a there's a theme about sort of wanting to be seen, similar, I guess, to Sing Unburied Sing, wanting to be seen and heard 
um, even if you're not speaking up, like the narrator really wants her boyfriend to realize that she's not excited about the pregnancy as much as he is, but he's not saying it and she doesn't want to say it. And so then the narrator starts to see in Jenny things that may or may not be there. She might be projecting onto her. And I thought that was very interesting. So yeah, mm-hmm. maybe this would technically be a four-star book in that I, I can imagine that the author could make something even better with her second pizza, with her second pizza book. Um, <laughs> as long as it's about pizza. <laughs> as long as it's pizza boy. I don't know. Hard to say. Um, but because I read it in one sitting, I have to give it five stars. I thought you were going to say, because, but because of the pickle thing, it's three stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have one note, which is you need to clarify what, what kind of pickle and what size and shape of pickle. But yeah, I mean, like, you got to love a book you read in one night. Um, so five stars. For sure. Any questions? I, I want to read this. Well, I want to read this book now and I want to mine the text and see if you missed the pickle thing. I'm sure you didn't, but I need to see for myself. Honestly, I was looking for it. But if you find it, you know, 500 no, I'm points. sure I'm sure it's just not there. It's got to be the round ones. <laughs> uh, speaking of round ones, I don't know. That's a weird transition. Dylan, do you have any facts? I mean, in a roundabout way, I do. Oh. Oh, there we go. Way to stick the landing after Bailey truly threw you out of a plane with no parachute. (laughs) John Kong Frazier's not as depressing, although maybe it's just because she's so young that nothing has had a chance bad to happen to her yet. I just want to give you props, Dylan, because anything that you come up with is better than her author bio. Oh, my God. Okay, this is by far and away the hardest research we've had to do for an author. Can I read her author bio? Yes, you can read her whole author bio. Okay, I'm going to read it. It's really long. Jean Kyung Frazier lives in Los Angeles. Pizza Girl is her debut novel. And that's all that's on her website. Um, (laughs) Okay. We had a similar one recently where the bio was just, and I'm forgetting who it was, just lives in Los Angeles. Yep. But their website actually had a real bio. (laughs) (laughs) Because she was born in Torrance, California, 1993. I think that makes her the youngest author we've had. I think think so. It's close. I was... I was raring for her to be born in late 90s here. So that this is better than I thought already. I literally had to find out a lot of information through her alumni magazines. <laughs> like Amazing. U- USC class of 2016. Dylan, you should be a PI. <laughs> but even though she was from Torrance, she spent a lot of time in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota, where her father's family is from. She is mixed race. She is Korean white because her mom immigrated here from Korea when her mom was 17. Like, like the, the mother in the book. Exactly. She makes it very clear that she's not like the main character, even though she did deliver pizzas in high school. Interesting. But because she didn't grow up in Torrance, California, where everything's happening, but instead had to grow up in Minnesota in a town with a population of 3000 and her parents did not want her to watch TV. She just read books a lot. She makes it very clear she was a very burnout student that, like, didn't know what she wanted to do. Huh, that sounds a lot like the character Hmm. in the book. Hmm. But don't worry, her mother was very supportive of her writing. Like the character in the book, you can say it. Like the character in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at USC, she just took some general English classes, but some teachers encouraged her uh, to attend to Columbia uh, for the MFA program, and Pizza Girl was her graduate uh, project. Wow. Dang. And then she sent it out to agents and she got a few meetings and got it signed and published. Although one of the agents told her, you sent me the worst query letter I ever read. And so I had to read the book. That's what she says. You know me, I like to read the acknowledgements, but she's like, I'd like to thank my agent who told me I wrote the worst query letter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well funny. done. Dylan. Oh, speaking of query, she is queer. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
like the character in the book. <laughs> like like the character in the book, she mentions that she pulled a lot of uh, the writing about it from one of her first uh, girlfriends she had and how desperate she sounded in the emails she came across. She sounded like, oh, God, this yeah. is very cringy. When asked about what book or piece of writing had a profound impact on her, she said it was Skilo's I Wish that she downloaded from LimeWire when she was 10. And now we got her. All right, she downloaded on LimeWire. We're going to <laughs> That's kind of what I was actually using. It's like, when okay. she was 10, though, she's young. But the fact that he wished he was a little bit taller and that he wished he was a baller. That's and what that song is called? What's the title? Skilo's I Wish. I did not know that that was what that song was called. But the swagger, the longing, the vulnerable yet playful tone of flow and everyday humanity, all in four short sentences. If I had a girl, I could call her. Yep. Amazing. Um, and she got the idea for it uh, when her friends were hanging out um, and they got pizza delivered and somebody commented, I wonder what that pizza delivery guy thinks about us. And she said, what do you mean? It's like, oh, yeah, we see him all the time. He's always the guy that delivers to us. Hmm. Right now, she is writing a script for the movie Pizza Girl. She's now also a writer on Law & Order Major Crimes. Pizza Crimes. Pizza Crimes. If there was a city to have pizza influence you, New York, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says that she's already on work on her next book, which is either going to be a stoner tragedy or a basketball novel, because her major inspiration is Tim Duncan of the San Antonio Spurs. He's very calm, serious, and doesn't have a lot of outward reaction. He's just an incredible player. Okay. Yeah. Why, why not both? Amazing. Why not a stoner novel? Because about- Tim Duncan is not a stoner. Mm. How dare you? I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I love that as an inspiration. Tim Duncan is very stoic. Yeah. And so that's all I could find on her. You know what? That's impressive, though. That's way more than I could find. Well done. You get yourself a cheese pizza just for you. <laughs> I did order a pizza while I was reading this book. I was wondering why. Oh, you were man. very insistent on that. I mean, it was... No, no, that's fair. It's fair. Um, do you feel like playing a game? Oh, no. Let's play a game. Uh, well, are you keeping it on your shelf, though, Bale? Come on. Give us that summary sentence. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That the people crave, Sorry. like pickles on a pizza. Sorry. So, again, that was Pizza Girl by Jean Kong Frazier. Five stars. And I'm keeping it on my shelf because of the rad cover for no other reason. Because she was a pizza girl. She was a pizza girl. She said... Pickles, yum. Nailed it. All right, let's play a game. (laughs) All right, are you guys ready? Yeah. You guys are going to help me out with a little project here. Okay. Because you're going to test my pitch for Netflix. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right, here we go. The name of this game is Booksaria. Ooh. Ooh. Like a pizzeria with books. You'll love it. You would go. You know you would. Um, So, this is my pitch for a Netflix show. It's a cooking competition. Mm-hmm. And here's what I need you to do. You are the final two contestants in this season of Booksaria, and you need to create for me, for each of the following books I read you, a pizza menu. Ooh. Okay. All right. So what I'm going to do is give you the, the title of a famous novel that I'm sure that you've either read or at least have some familiarity with, and you're going to give me the special pizza, the special appetizer, and the special dessert of that pizza would be. Ooh, okay. Now, they must have clever names. And you must list what's in them that makes them unique to the book. You're each going to get a chance for all three of them, and I will judge them. And at the end, only one of you will be the bookish pizza champion of the world. Do I get to win a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut? Tell you what, Bailey, if you win, when I visit you for Thanksgiving, I will get you a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. Excellent. If Dylan wins... Do I get a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut? You didn't ask for it. (laughs) (laughs) One of us gets a personal pan pizza, and then the other one has to watch us eat it. The loser has to eat a, a pizza with bread and butter pickles on it. (laughs) 
okay, wait, no, this is great. You guys are helping me workshop this. This is why I brought you in for my pitch to Netflix. Um, so yeah, I will buy you a pizza dinner when I'm in when I'm in L.A. Winner, congratulations, you don't have to pay for pizza. Loser has to eat pickles on a pizza of my choosing. <laughs> yes. All right. Are you guys ready for the first book? There's three rounds here. Yes, let's do it. A reminder that you're telling us the special pizza, the special appetizer, and the special dessert for the book. Go. All right. The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Pizza, 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 pizza. There's some background music for you. Pizza, 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 pizza. Um, I guess I'll just go. Bailey, you're ready. Go for it. Um, What's your first submission? The appetizer is um, <laughs> called. You did say appetizer. Ap- That's okay. <laughs> appetizer. The appetizer <laughs> is the eyes of T.J. Ackelberg, and it's just a plate of um. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, this is stupid. Like um, apples with olives on them to look like eyes. So that's okay. great. Pretty great. But it's that's an appetizer, to be clear. <laughs> yeah. The pizza has, what's the saddest cheese? It, it has um, Swiss cheese on it because that's the saddest cheese. And the special topping is those um, chocolates that look like gold, that gelt because money. Um, in the in the foil, uh, just in for the clarification. Foil, in the foil, um, mm-hmm. and then like some champagne. Um, so that's the pizza, mm-hmm. and that pizza is called the Jazz Age. Love it. <laughs> and then the dessert is called the Green Light, and it's just not even specially made. It's like a green Jello thing that they just took the plastic off it, like a what are they called pudding cup? It's just that sitting on a plate. So that's so that's mine. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. I have one note before we move to Dylan's, which is that you picked eyes and you could have done meatballs or garlic knots, which are real things that aren't apples and olives mixed together. Dylan, your turn. Appetizer. The appetizer would be an Orderland bird. Uh, the Orderland bird is something that's for rich people only. It is illegal. It is illegal. The record show. Oh, is it what they did on Hannibal where there's a live bird? Yeah, and you have to put a, a napkin over your head to eat it. The waiter wears some glasses and watches you eat it. Ooh, okay. Well, but what, what's it called? Oh, I was going to call it the Eyes of Eckelberg. Mm, copier. I'll go call it the Eyes of Ordelberg. Okay. There you go. There you go. Love it. Um, and then I was going to make caviar champagne pizza, which was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> but there is champagne cheese. Okay. And then you put caviar on it. And I'm sure that tastes gross, but people would pay a lot of money for it. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm, it called? Mm-hmm. I, I think just calling it champagne caviar <laughs> pizza sounds... Lame. Um, and then I would have a uh, moonshine float. Ooh. Ooh. As the mm. dessert. Weird. Okay. Well, and, and you would just call it Moonshine Flirt? Uh, wolf's um, Float. What is that the name of the gangster? Sure. Sure. Who wins? No, yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm going to give this round to Dylan because it sounds more like food you could eat. But I do want to call out Bailey for having very well thought out things. This was very close. The gelt on the Swiss cheese pizza was real hard for me to What about fathom. olives on apples? <laughs> also hard for me to fathom. It seems like maybe you don't cook a lot, Bailey. <laughs> How dare you? No. So Dylan narrowly, narrowly takes the first round. <laughs> yes. Next round is Pride and Prejudice okay. by one Yane Austin. You have to go first this time yeah yeah pizza 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 the hut well my appetizer is eggs benedict okay <laughs> outstanding start <laughs> not really traditionally an appetizer but continue <laughs> what do you mean it's just eggs benedict yes but it has a fancy name okay this will be taken into, into account <laughs> in the scoring bailey and don't then, you worry uh the pizza is a uh half and half pizza Half um, jalapenos and then half mushroom olives, which you didn't think would work together, but they do. 
Okay. Okay. Yes. What's the name of the pizza? Oh, uh, opposites attract half and half. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Continue. And then the dessert is wedding cake. Mm. Ah, and what's is it just called wedding cake? It's called matrimony cake. That's wonderful. Thank you very much for your submission. Bailey, what do you have for our Pride and Prejudice Bookseria submission? My appetizer is called It Is a Truth Universally Acknowledged. Amazing. And it is crumpets, but they're garlic knots, but they're crumpets. So it's like you use crumpet dough to make a garlic knot, which is, I'm sure, something you can do. And the knot, you know, represents marriage, which is the opening. Dylan's Googling something, which is not allowed. Well, he doesn't know what the next book is. The pizza is called the Pemberley. Um, and on it, it has five different toppings for the five different sisters. So it's pepperoni, mushroom, green pepper, onion, and ham. 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 And then the um, dessert is called Darcy's Kiss, semicolon, I ardently love and admire you. And it is a beautiful meringue with marzipan on top that looks like a fountain. Oh, <laughs> surprise. Um, yeah, there's a clear winner here and it's Bailey. <laughs> she really, really nailed it here. Dylan, you got too excited. My notice, you got too excited about making a, a meal you wanted I to know, eat exactly. right now. <laughs> but- for this last round, try to do what Bailey just did because yeah. she just knocked it out of the park. That's okay. Right. Oh no. Yes. All right. So we're tied one to one. There's real world stakes on the, on the line here. Oh no. For I our forgot. final book, and I'm really excited about this. Oh no. Give me your book series submission, and I'm sad Toby's not here for Redwall. Boo. Ooh. <laughs> I know it's your favorite, Dylan. For the record, listener, while they're thinking, I feel like Bailey could legitimately open a restaurant with that menu and probably do okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, Redwall, um, my appetizer is a bunch of mixed nuts, um, including acorns <laughs> and walnuts and pecans. And it's called The Abbey. That's the name. <laughs> Good. The pizza is called Clooney the Scourge, and it's just meat lovers. It's just all kinds of meat, you know, really gross. It'll wreak a scourge on your on your belly. Yeah, and it has a lot of hot sauce on it, so it's just not going to go down easy. Um, and the dessert is called the Sparrow, and it is what is it? It is an ice cream cake in the shape of a sparrow. You're welcome. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank oh, no. you very much. I would probably order Clooney the Scourge. Ugh. I have ordered a pizza called the Beastmaster several times from Roberto's. <laughs> oh, man. I was going to use Sparrow as my appetizer. Mm, like my store. But my appetizer would be Sparrow wings, which are basically just buffalo wings. Okay. We call them that. Okay. But but tiny. <laughs> but they're very tiny, but also large. So they're just random different sizes. Because mm-hmm, the sizes are inconsistent. Yeah. Yep. Depending on like the mood of the customer. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, my pizza would just be like a cheese, just like a regular cheese pizza. But it would be delivered by a rat running across the uh, <laughs> ground, <laughs> running across the floor <laughs> of the restaurant. That's right. Pizza rat would deliver your pizza to <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> And wait, wait, does he deliver the box or does he just pull the slice? No, he pulls a slice. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Pulls a slice for each person. <laughs> <laughs> Takes a really long time to get served. <laughs> yeah. Look, he needs a job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the uh, dessert is a Baja Blast from Taco Bell. Because Bell. Bell. In the Bell. Okay. I was trying to find oh, a okay. Bell related thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. I have a very gross restaurant, but you know what? This one, I think it pairs well with the book. It knows what it is. We served misshapen uh, chicken wings, pizza rat pizza, and Baja Blast from Taco Bell. 
Oh, man. I want to thank both of you for your contributions here. (laughs) Bailey, I think you had a more well-thought-out menu. However, Dylan's made me laugh so much that I have to give it to Dylan. Congratulations. Dylan is the winner. So, Bailey, you have to eat a pizza with some pickles on it. (laughs) However, it was very close. So, Dylan, the least you could do was also try a bite. Thank you for playing Booksaria. It's a pizza. Oh, man. I'm angry, but I will accept this. Well, Bailey. Yes. Now's not the time to be angry. Now's the time for... Oh, it's time for you to choose books at random from our shelves to read next. The choosing. The choosing. The choosing. Oh, Andrew. We're getting so good at transitions here. Oh, Andrew. Remember poor Toby? Oh, yeah. That he has to read like an old bummer book? (laughs) No. Yeah, I mean, that would just be bad if someone were to pull number 82, To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. Oh, okay. I really thought that was a lead into Anatomy of Melancholy. <laughs> one of these days. One of these days, I'll pull it. <laughs> I will happily read To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. There were so many worse books that you could have pulled based on that intro <laughs> that I'm just thrilled. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm excited. I haven't I haven't read uh, a lot of Woolf, so this is exciting for me. I'm glad I don't have to do the research on her because it would take a long time. I don't think I've read any Virginia Woolf. Why? Are you guys afraid of Virginia Woolf? <sighs> Ooh, stupid. All right, Del, what's my book? Oh, oh, my sweet, sweet child. My sweet, sweet summer child. My sweet number 25, Dear Child by Rami Houseman. Oh, okay. Well, okay, this is good because I think it's a spooky book. Is it? Ooh, but it's no longer spooky. Ooh. Nothing can be scary until next October. This one I put on my shelf and Andrew bought it for me. <laughs> like Man, Pizza Girl. <laughs> um, it was on a lot of best of lists, but it basically sounds like Room by Emma Donahue. So I'm curious to see, you know, what the differences are. So that Ooh. I'm excited for this one. Cool. Nice. So that means in two weeks on the podcast, Toby has Evelyn Waugh's Brideshead Revisited, and I'll be reading Dear Child by Rami Houseman. I'm excited for the next few books we have going on this podcast. Me too. This is fun. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. And if you like what you heard, there's a couple ways you can help us find more listeners. Uh, first of all, if you go onto your podcatcher of choice, and this is particularly true in Apple Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a rating and a review. It, it boosts our signal a little bit and helps more people find the podcast. You can even tell us maybe uh, what your favorite pizza topping is there. And then also, and this is actually the best way for us to find new listeners, if you like what you heard, tell a friend. Tell an enemy, tell a family member, tell the person you deliver pizzas to, to check out the To Read List podcast. Tell a pizza rat. (laughs) Tell pizza rat. (laughs) Thanks to Andrew and Dylan for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Toby for following his dreams, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books.